How many of you are ready to study God's word today? Some prayer, we are ready. Well, go ahead and uh, grab your note-taking guide. Oh, wait, there's not one. Uh, so what you'll want to do, because we have a lot of content, is you may want to find a place to jot down a few notes, maybe on your phone, because I'm going to make some suggestions today when it comes to Bible study, which is what this series is about, uh, that you might find very, very helpful. So you don't need to write down everything we say, but just be prepared to, to jot a note down on your phone or somewhere just to remind yourself of maybe what God might challenge you to do concerning God's word during this series. This is a four-week series where we're going to talk about some of the basics of rightly handling the word of God. And uh, w when I thought of preparing this series, the, the thing that came to mind to me was an old series of books that used to be really, really popular about 20, 25 years ago. Uh, this is back when there were actually books made of paper. Any of the uh, older people remember actual paper books? Yeah, I know, back in the day. And uh, the books were for dummies. And uh, I remember when I got my first job right out of college that I needed to, uh, to get Windows 95 for dummies. Anybody remember Windows 95? That was like you had to have it in the late 90s. It was awesome. It had like all these great features that seem ancient now. And so I had Windows 95 for dummies. They also had the internet for dummies and eBay for dummies. And uh, I, I went online and found that this week there is even still a website called dummies.com where they have like hundreds of these books still that you can order at dummies.com. I, uh, I found dating for dummies, marriage for dummies, sex for dummies, and pregnancy for dummies, and recommend that you do them in that order. <laughs> Just take note. I, 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 I also found stress management for dummies, which comes after all those other ones. Stress management for dummies. But you, you're not going to believe this one. I literally found, check this out, shopping online for Canadians for dummies. <laughs> I didn't even know that Canadians were for sale. <laughs> Let alone you can buy them online. <laughs> and so I thought about calling this series Bible for Dummies. But that doesn't sound very nice, because you're not dummies. And so instead, we're calling it Bible Basics. And uh, many times, I will have people who ask, you know, Joel, how do I interpret the Bible? How do I study it on my own at home throughout the week? And uh, I want to, in this series, share with you some of the tools and resources that people who get really serious about studying the Bible and applying it to their lives become familiar with. But the more important thing is this, understanding that the goal is not just comprehension, the goal is application. That what we need to do is learn to live in these pages and allow these pages to live in us. And so Jesus said in the book of Matthew that uh, in verse 24, 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And so I think the question that we need to ask ourselves today is what are you building your life upon? Are you building your life on the things that you see in magazines and on movies and on TV? Are you building your life on what celebrities say and the media and musicians say today? Are you building your life on articles that you read and things that are, are shared on social media? Are you building your life on the teachings of this world or are you building your life on the foundation of God's word? That's the question. But once you have made that decision, then how do you rightly handle his word? And so I could probably give you a hundred different ideas today, but because we only have 30 minutes, we're going to limit it to six. And the very first thing that I want to recommend to you today is that you consider trying a modern English, or if you prefer, a French translation. And the, the Bible is originally in Hebrew and in Greek, 66 different books that are compiled. And of those, the Old Testament, which is written in primarily in Hebrew, is 39 books. The New Testament, which is written primarily in Greek, is 27 books. And what you need to understand is whatever version, whatever translation you are reading, unless you are reading it in Hebrew and Greek, then what you are reading is somebody's attempt to translate the original text into your language. That's really helpful to understand when people say, why are there so many different versions of the Bible? No, 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 no. There's the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. All the other versions and translations are our attempt to translate those into our languages today. And if you were a Christian primary, uh, previous to the 1970s, then the Bible that you were probably most familiar with was the King James Version in English. Uh, the King James Version was primarily uh, translated in the early 1600s. There have been many versions since then, but even the one that is called the authorized version has been updated and modified over the last 400 years. And it was commissioned by the Church of England in the 1600s, and the guy who commissioned it, I bet you can guess his name if you try really hard. Do you want to guess? His name was King J. Oh, you are so smart. Way to go. And so over the, the next 350 years, 
The King James Version was the most commonly used English version. Now, if you are familiar with that, how many of you, I wonder, would raise your hand if you have spent time with the King James Version? Excellent. So if you raised your hand, then you know how beautiful it is. It is uh, poetic and regal sounding. It sounds like Shakespeare. Why? Because it's like Shakespeare's language. It was uh, Elizabethan 16th century old English. And I wonder what it would be like if we talked like that today. It, I, 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 it is so good that thou hast cometh here today. I, I render my eyes upon thee, and uh, child cometh unto me, henceforth unto my breast, that I mightst embrace thee. Not many people talk like that today. In fact, get this, not even Jesus talked like that. See, Jesus did not use the fancy language of his day. Scholars agree that most of what he taught was in Aramaic. He would have also been able to speak in Greek, but one of the reasons we know that much of what he said was in Aramaic is because when you read your English version, a lot of times it will say something, and then the translators will put in a little parentheses and say, that was in the Aramaic, and then this is what it means in English or in the Greek originally in the New Testament. And uh, so Aramaic was the common everyday working man's language in Jesus' time. It's how fishermen spoke. It's the language that, that carpenters used and people just like you and me. And yet so often when people become new Christians, the only Bible that they grab hold of is the King James. Just last week I talked with somebody in the atrium and said, I'm, tr you know, I I'm brand new to this Bible thing and I'm trying to figure this out. And it's King James. And if, unless you are most familiar with that and most comfortable with that, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but for everybody else, I would recommend that you try a modern translation because what many people don't realize is that most of the modern translations are actually more accurate to the original language and were used with more comprehension of the ancient languages. And I'll explain to you sometimes why that is. So I'm not bashing on the King James, but what are some of the modern translations that we could recommend today? There are two that I want to primarily recommend. The first is called the New Living Translation, or the NLT for short. This was translated in the 1990s. It is fantastic to sit down and read. It is considered to be a very uh, accurate translation to the original Hebrew and Greek. In fact, Tracy and I got to spend time in Israel with one of the translators who was on this committee, one of the lead translators named Dr. Joe Colson, who is a fantastic biblical scholar. The New Living Translation. But the one that I teach from most often is the NIV, the New International Version. And so whenever we have a passage of scripture on the, the screen, or whenever you hear me read something, 
most of the time it's going to be from the NIV, and if it's something other than the NIV, then I will tend to make sure that it tells you what translation it is. Now why are, are there, there these different approaches? Let me give you two major approaches to translating from another language. One is word for word, which scholars call formal equivalence, where you literally don't worry as much about the grammatical structure of how a sentence is put together. You try to translate it as much as is possible word for word. The other is thought for thought. You take the sentence and then figure out how is the best way to communicate this intelligibly today in our language. And that's called dynamic equivalence. Let me show you the challenge of translating something word for word. I'll give you an example. In English, if I were to say, I thank you for coming here. I thank you for coming here. And I do. I thank you for coming here. Now, I don't speak French very well. I'm just learning. I'm a student. But I think, and you can correct me later. Please don't correct me now if this isn't the best way to say it. But I think that in French, the way that I would say that is, je vous remercie d'être venu ici. And so let me give you the, hey, thank you. Yeah. Do you even speak French? Come on. <laughs> but I appreciate the encouragement. Je vous remercie d'être venu ici. Now, if we were to do a direct word-for-word -word equivalence translation, it would be something like this. I, you, thank, for, or of, to be, came, here. Well, that flows really well. I, you, thank, for, to be, came, here. That is a word-for-word -word translation. And so, uh, let me, let me give you an example of how some of the different translations uh, fit into these categories. The word-for-word -word translation is the primary tool used by the King James translators 400 years ago. The NRSV, which is the New Revised Standard Version, and the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. Those are formal equivalents. Thought for thought which is a mix of formal and dynamic equivalents, is, are some of the modern translations that I recommended to you, the New International Version, the New Living Translation, and also the NET, which we're going to see in just a few minutes, uh, which is called the New English Translation. And the reason you're going to see that in a few minutes is because there is a fi fantastic Bible tool that I use all the time that I'm going to recommend to you that is put together by the translators of the NET. Now, there's a third category that's completely different, which is called a paraphrase. A few weeks ago, I actually got a message from somebody who asked me about the message. Like, what even is the message? Is it heresy? Is it, you know, what is the message version? Well, understand it is not actually considered a translation, which is okay as long as you understand what it is. The Message Bible by Eugene Peterson was his attempt to put it in modern language in what is called a paraphrase. So you take the whole idea and then put it into, here's how I would say it if I was the author today. Another version of that is the TLB, the Living Bible. Now, how can you best, if you only speak English, or if you 
only speak whatever language you speak. In fact, I'd, I'd be interested. How many here today speak French? Raise your hand. Oh, yeah. How many speak Spanish? Raise your hand. We got our Spanish section here. Over here, awesome. How many speak uh, Swahili? Some. How many speak uh, Farsi or Arabic? I know we have some. Let's see. Uh, First Nations or indigenous languages? Any? Yeah. And so, uh, so you have an understanding of what we're talking about, the challenge of translating something into another language. So one of the best ways that you can do this in English, are you ready? Here is your tip of the day. One of the best ways, if you don't understand Greek and Hebrew, to get an idea of what the passage is saying is look it up in like 10 different translations, right? So you read the verse in, in a whole bunch of different translations in parallel, and that gives you some insight into some of the decisions that translators use when it comes to putting those words together in a sentence. Wow, you think that's heavy duty? Wait, there's more to come. Okay, so next uh, we're going to recommend that you get some practical reference tools. And one of the best reference tools that you can have, the best bang for the buck, if you're only going to buy one tool or one reference tool, is called a study Bible. The NIV study Bible is absolutely fantastic. What a study Bible, they're pretty big, but what a study Bible tends to have are a number of different resources. One is called a concordance. A concordance is a section in the back where if you look up a particular word, it will list for you a number of different verses where that word shows up in the Bible. So if you look up the word prayer, it will show you maybe a hundred different places where the word prayer is mentioned in scripture, in the English translation that you're holding. Cross-references in a study Bible, in many Bibles they put them in this little section in between columns. And so in the column in between, a cross-reference is where it has the verse of Scripture, and then it has a little number beside it, and you look in the cross-reference, and that cross-reference shows you other verses that deal with that same issue. Book introductions are fantastic because at the beginning of each book in a study Bible, it gives you the history, the date of when that book was most likely written. It tells you about the author of that book of the Bible and the circumstances that surrounding, uh, surround the writing of that particular book of the Bible. And then a study Bible has reference notes. Reference notes will often explain to you some of the challenges that the translators had and why they made the decision to use the words that they did when they put it into English or the language of your choice that you're reading. So reference notes are wonderful. They'll give you more detail about what you're reading in that particular verse. That's the best bang for your buck, an NIV study Bible. But if you would really like to invest, you didn't know you were going to Bible college today. If you really want to invest, uh, also a Bible dictionary is a wonderful resource. I have a number of these in my library. A Bible dictionary tells you words, uh, places, and people, and goes into great detail describing it much more advanced than just like a Webster's Dictionary to look up the definition of a word. A Bible dictionary is a great investment. Then a 
a larger concordance, these are really fleshed out versions of what you find in a study Bible, is an NIV exhaustive concordance. Ready for a bad joke? An exhaustive concordance is one that makes you very, very tired. Yeah, that laugh was about as good as the joke. Uh, and, and it, what the word exhaustive means is they exhaust every option. So in that concordance, it will tell you every single time that word is ever used anywhere in the Bible. And so for one word, sometimes it'll have like a list this long of places that you can look up exhaustive concordance. And then the last one that I recommend is called a Hebrew-Greek lexicon. And here's another really sad joke. Are you ready? A Hebrew-Greek lexicon is a little Irish guy with a pot of gold who helps you understand the Bible. I promise that's the last one. Uh, no, it, it means that it fleshes out your understanding of the Hebrew and the Greek words that are used in the Bible. It is an absolutely fantastic resource. And the good news is, you say, oh, Joel, I can't invest in all this. This could cost hundreds of dollars. And to get really good ones, it could, if you were to really get big, big, like scholarly ones. But here's the great news. You don't have to do that now because there are great internet resources that have all of these online for free. And my favorite one that I'm going to recommend to you, are you ready? It's so good. It's called net.bible.org. Write this down, net.bible.org. Now, it may not work on a lot of your mobile browsers on your devices. You may need a computer to actually access some of these resources. But net.bible.org. I use it all the time. Let me show you how it works. So what happens is when you open up the interface, and we're going to zoom in really, really tight so that people online who are watching us right now on the live stream can see it. On, it, on uh, this passage, for, for instance, I pulled up John chapter 3, which is, this is the very passage we studied last Sunday. So last Sunday, we got into the word study. We learned about who Nicodemus is and his background. And so I thought that would be a great example for us to use today on net.bible.org, that in John chapter 3, you have a number of these tabs along the cross, the top, that give you options. So if we touch the parallel tab, it gives you exactly what I recommended, a whole bunch of different translations that you can read in parallel. So in verse 1, it gives it in the New English Translation, the NIV, the New American Standard, the English Standard Version, the New Living Translation, the Message, Paraphrase, and on down the list. It's all right there on this little tab. Then, when you click on the Notes tab, it gives you these uh, reference notes. So if you look at, you're reading along, now a certain man, a Pharisee, and you see the little number 1 here, you look over here, and it tells you that there are more notes on Pharisees in verse 24. So you go down to verse 24. You read along. He was part of the Jewish ruling council. It says number two in the Greek, the, the literal translation of that is a ruler of the Jews denoting a member of the Sanhedrin, the highest legal, legislative, and judicial body among the Jews, which is what we talked about last week, right? So it's all right there in your reference notes. Then if you click 
the tab. This is my favorite one, the Greek-Hebrew tab. You say, Joel, I don't know how to read Greek. It's no problem. With technology, it gives you access to understanding the Greek even without being able to read Greek yourself. You can at least get a rudimentary understanding. So I tell you the solemn truth, unless a person is born from above. Now remember last week, the NIV translated that as unless someone is born again. Well, the NET translated it born from above. Why is that? We found out last week. Because if you double click on that word, and by the way, whenever you, what happens is when you move your cursor around, it puts in yellow uh, the word and any place in that passage where that exact Greek word shows up again. So here in what we see on the screen, that word, whatever it is in Greek, shows up twice in this passage. Over here, it shows it to you in the Greek. Then, if we go to the next screen, if you double-click that word that's highlighted, it opens up Strong's Concordance and Greek Lexicon, that free resource that I said. So the Greek word is, here it is written in Greek. In English, you would pronounce it anothen. You remember that from last week? Anothen. In the NET, there are seven times that they translated it from above. There are three times when they translated it top. There's one time when they translated it all over or again. And so it shows you all the times that the translators in the NET chose to translate it in different words into English. And then it gives you the definitions in order, just like you would find in a dictionary. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Technology is wonderful. OK. It's good stuff. I bet, how many of you have ever been to a Sunday morning message like this before? Nobody, right? And you're like, Joel, don't do it again. Okay, well, it's a Bible study series. What do you expect? Okay, so uh, the next thing that I want to recommend, be careful with the internet. Can I say it again? Be careful with the internet. Don't believe everything you read. Do I have to say that out loud, or do we just know this by now? Of course, I would think that people would just know this, but then I read social media, and all of a sudden I find that people believe what they read on the internet so often. But for all you know, the biblical scholar that you think that you're reading from could be a guy in a monkey suit in his mother's basement in Saskatchewan <laughs> on his computer. You don't know. And so don't believe everything you read without checking it with your own research and multiple trustworthy sources. Okay, now, the next suggestion is study by topic and read in sequence. Study by topic is where you use these references, like for example, the concordance, or in net.bible, there was a little search bar in the top, and if you put in any word in the search bar, it will show you anywhere in the Bible that that verse shows up in that particular translation in English. So if you want to look up stuff about parenting, you can put in parenting, parents, children, mother, father, stress, whatever it is you want to put in there, 
and it will show you all the times. And so you can study by topic and read in sequence. Don't just pick and choose throughout scripture. Read entire sections, read entire chapters, read entire books of the Bible in sequence. One of the ways that I do that is I have started reading the Bible through every single year. And this year, I'm using a new one that I had never used before, and I love it. And so I'm so glad to be able to recommend this to you. If you would like to join me in reading all the way through the Bible in one year, the resource is called Bible in One Year. What a brilliant name. <laughs> Bibleinoneyear.org. The person who developed this Bible in One Year resource is the same guy who founded Alpha. We love Alpha, right? We love Alpha here, and many of you have been through that. Well, Alpha, uh, this guy who developed it, not only put together a, a set selection of reading from the Old Testament and the New Testament for every single day for a year, but also gives you teaching that you read before you get into it with each day's reading that gives you a summary of what you're about to read and an explanation about some of the challenging things that you're about to read to help you better understand. And it's really good, I'm telling you. It's really, really good. Now, if you're like me, you maybe want to do it on your phone. And so, oh my goodness, look at the time. On my phone, uh, the YouVersion app, if you have never downloaded the YouVersion app for your phone, please do that. YouVersion, one word, Y-O-U, version. There is a little tab in the YouVersion app that's called plans. It means reading plans. And they have a whole section of these read through the Bible in a year reading plans. And uh, one of them is this Bible in one year resource. It's the one that says Bible in one year. So you can join me in doing that every morning at 6 a.m. I have my app open and I'm doing my daily Bible time. Uh, for some of you, you may not want to do it at 6 a.m. I don't know when you want to do it, but... Uh, so, those are a few recommendations. Are we still together? Moving right along. Now, the, these were the mechanical things. Oh, yeah, one more suggestion before we get to the next section. Let's show that screen. Uh, the, verify the context of what you read. Make sure that you verify what you read by reading in a good context. Remember we said verses and chapters. But also the historical and biblical context. Because... I had a professor who once said, a Bible professor, remember that what you are reading was God's word to someone else long ago before it ever became God's word to you today. And in order to understand what God is trying to say to you today, it's very, very helpful to understand what God meant and what it would have meant to the original audience thousands of years ago in its original context. Now, these are some of the mechanics of Bible study. Now, let's just finish up with a few ideas about the softer side of studying the Bible. And the first thing I want to recommend, have an open mind and a soft heart. 
Because God does not speak to people who have a closed mind and a hard heart. He just doesn't. We know that because, oh, I'm sorry, let's go back. Uh, in Matthew 13, 11, Jesus replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever has what? Whoever has, he already said, whoever has the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, whoever, whoever already has opened their heart to the truth of God's word receives more understanding. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. In other words, whoever has a closed mind and a hard heart when they read the Bible, it won't make understanding to them. In fact, God will make it even harder for you to understand if you have a closed mind and a hard heart. So our attitude when we approach Scripture is really one of the very most important, important parts. And then finally, let the Word do its work. To try to put aside our preconceived ideas and all the things that we thought it meant and all the things that we've heard before and simply approach God's word with this statement. God, please teach me something today. Because when you approach God's word with this kind of attitude, when you ask God to reveal something to you and to teach you today, guess what? Usually that's exactly what happens. I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. It says, For the work, the word of God is full of living power. It's sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. Would you read that out loud with me? Let's read it out loud together in unison. Hebrews 4.12 from the New Living Translation. It says, for the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we really are. That when we approach God's word with an open mind and a soft heart, and we invite him to speak to us, he begins to do surgery upon us. You see, we need surgery to take care of the sickness and the diseases of the human soul. We need for him to, to reveal our innermost thoughts and desires and expose the reality of who we truly are. And when God reveals himself to us, it is often an uncomfortable revelation. See, we love to read about God's love and mercy, but not everybody loves to read about God's justice and how his holiness demands justice. We love to read about how much we matter to God, but not everybody loves to read how we are sinners and how there is no hope for us apart from the cross of Jesus Christ who died for our forgiveness. We love to read about fellowship and peace and getting along in unity with others. 
but we don't love so much the parts that talk about how we will be hated and persecuted by people when we live in faithfulness to God. We love the parts that talk about joy and abundant living in Christ. But we don't always love to know that the road to that fulfillment in his kingdom is only found by putting aside our own desires and our own wants and our own hungers and our own dreams and instead seeking his kingdom first and his righteousness, knowing that that is the only path to fulfillment. Some people say, but the Bible's so hard to understand. You know what's even harder? Putting into practice what we already do understand. And letting God's word do its powerful work in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. God wants to help you. He wants nothing more than to help you live a life of honor for his glory and for the advancement of his kingdom. So I want to ask you, maybe some of you will join me in making the Bible a part of your daily life. And every morning, uh, maybe you won't do it at 6 a.m. My wife thinks that 6 only comes one time a day, p.m., and if that's you, maybe you want to do it at your life uh, or at your lunchtime or maybe you want to do it in the evening. Uh, for others, one of the things that you might want to consider doing is being part of one of our Bible classes. We have things like Alpha, Beta, Word, Cleansing Stream. We have the gathering uh, on many Saturday mornings. We have men's breakfasts. We have women's ministries options. We have young adult Bible studies and things for students. We have Sunday morning classes, but one that I really want to recommend to you is March 17th. This whole series is couched around a Saturday morning deep Bible study. Saturday morning, March 17th, from 9 to 12, we have one of the greatest professors and Bible teachers. He's written entire commentaries. It's really, really, really good. But on March 17th, we're going to put the word uh, into our souls and learn how to study God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, wherever people are on their spiritual journey today, I pray that today would not be a discouragement for those who are perhaps intimidated by scripture. But that today would be an encouragement. That right now your spirit would, would speak encouragement into people's lives. And that you would stir up in us a hunger for your word. To love your scripture. That it's sweet like honey on our lips. That it is the light for our path and the lamp unto our feet. Words of life. The bread that we feed upon. And so, Father, for each and every person today, may you stir up a hunger in our hearts for more of your word. And that we would learn and grow over this next month 
in how to apply it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, amen. amen.